One of, one of the jobs that I had was that I worked for Tom Raper RV. Tom Raper RV, Midwest's largest RV dealer. Tent caps, truck caps, 99 and up. I could do the whole commercial. So my job was I worked in the body shop, and we fixed things that, um, you know, when you buy an RV, there's a little yellow sticker that indicates the height of the RV. And it's amazing to me how many old people just never paid attention to that sticker. And so we would get RVs. So one of the jobs we had was to put back the RVs that got peeled, the tops got shaved off from going through underneath something they shouldn't have tried to go underneath. Um, but the other job, the other part of the job was um, when the old people would upgrade and get a new RV, they would bring in their old used RV. And we had to repair and paint and replace and maintain and fix and spruce up so that the old RV had an appearance of being gently used. Gently used. Um, now, there was this one guy who was in charge of my crew that I was on, and his name was Howard. We called him Howard the Duck. And Howard the Duck ran the crew that I was assigned to. And so we would have a checklist that the big guys with the clipboards would come in, and they would assess the intake of the RV, and there would be all these things on the checklist. Howard notoriously did not complete all of the things on the checklist. And it drove me crazy because I showed up and I was like, I'm, you know, I want to hit all the things on the checklist. And more than once, Howard would get up and the rest of the crew would start to leave with him. And I'd be like, Howard, it, you know, we're supposed to paint the wheel wells. We haven't done the wheel wells yet. And, our, and time after time, Max, it's good enough for government work. Let's go. Oh, pfft. You know, and I, the first couple of times, good enough for government work. And then he would, sometimes if I pushed his buttons, he'd be like, they don't pay me enough to make these things look like new. Let's go. And so, you know, I was like, ah. Ten years later, I was a janitor with Jessamine County Schools. By the way, if you want to know why there's a fall break, I'll tell you today. Um, the, that, that year, we had the first fall break we've ever had in Jessamine County. Do you know why we had it? the new high school wasn't ready when school started. So we put in a fall break so that um, this district could pull all the janitors throughout the whole district and we had a week to get that school finished and all the teachers moved in and all their stuff from West Jessamine High School. So I was assigned a head janitor from, I don't know where he was from, I think Warner Elementary. And, and, and so I was on his crew. Again, I, so in 10 years' time, I went from peon to peon first class. <laughs> okay? And this guy, the way he approached it was, we would work for 20 minutes, and then we'd take a 15-minute break. <laughs> Some of you seem uh, abhorred by this, okay? Work 20 minutes, take a 15-minute break. Um, and we knew it was time because he would be like, all right, boys, smoke break. <laughs> and off we'd go out to the dock. And I remember kind of like, hey, like, we've got to get all this stuff done. And the district has been, you know, doing things like hustle, hustle. You know, shouldn't we, you know, shouldn't we do a little more? And I remember he was like, Max, are you kidding me? They treat us like garbage here. I'm not going to work my butt off for them. Are you kidding me? Okay. You guys know people, don't you, who live by the phrase, good enough for government work? Maybe you work for somebody who lives by the phrase, 
good enough for government work. I have a friend who's in the restaurant service business, and um, he applied to be the, like, the number two person at his, at his store, and the manager decided to bring in somebody else from the culinary school that he went to, and so that guy became the number two person. And I remember talking to my friend, this is a few months ago, and my friend was like, I can't wait to watch him crash and burn. You know, those catering orders that come in, who cares? And so I have this conversation with him, and he goes, I'm not, Max, I'm not going to try anymore. Are you kidding me? See where it got me? Nowhere. Thank you very much. Um, so there are a lot of people who live the good enough for government work. Do you remember last summer, the Taco Bell video that went viral? Let me remind your memory. The Taco Bell employee security camera You seem grossed out by this. Well, let me tell you the story they didn't report in the news. So five years before that, there was a Taco Bell employee from Nebraska who, let's just say that he had issues, okay? Um, he kind of would hit on his girlfriend. He sort of sold drugs, just a little bit, not a lot. It was only, you know, it was under, what are the ounce requirements? Three ounces or whatever it is, an ounce, half an ounce, I don't know. I don't sell drugs, so I'm not up on the <laughs> thresholds. Okay, <laughs> so you have to give me slack on that one. <laughs> Some of you are like, whoo, <laughs> glad, glad to hear that. Okay, so, but he, was, he had frequent run-ins with the law. So he would make special tacos and burritos for the police officers that came in. All I will say is that some of it involved urine. You seem disgusted by this. The story gets better. So one police officer comes in in uniform, and, and of course he gets the special tacos and burritos. Unbeknownst to the guy, he's there with his family who hadn't come into the restaurant yet. So he's got a seven-year-old son and a four-year-old son, and after eating these special tacos, they become deathly ill and have to go to the hospital. Well, the hospital's like, ding, Taco Bell. So they go back to Taco Bell, and he's caught. <laughs> the family's awarded $40,000. Believe it or not, the guy is fired, not for urinating in the tacos, but for not showing up to work. <laughs> I know, what a country. <laughs> can, can we all admit this morning that maybe, maybe, just maybe in, in America that we have a problem with an honest day's work? <laughs> can we just admit that maybe, maybe we have a problem with an honest day's work? One of the reasons farming as a as an industry is in trouble is because it's hard work. And for the past few years, farmers have relied on migrant workers, immigrants to do the hard labor of farming. Well, Uncle Sam, and regardless of your political persuasion, Mr. Obama have deported large, I mean, historic record number of people out of the country. So it's hard to get these migrant workers compared to what it was like, say, five years ago. And, uh, Daniel, I sat down with Daniel this week, and he was telling me a story about his neighbor. Uh, so his, his neighbor, I don't know if this was last summer or a couple of summers ago, he noticed that his neighbor uh, talked to him and, hey, have you been able to find work to put your tobacco in? No, no, no. A week or two passes, and he notices that the neighbor's tobacco's in. So he, next time he sees him, hey, I noticed you put your tobacco in. You know, who'd you, who'd you get? Who'd you hire? And the guy said, I didn't hire anybody. I just called three of my friends, and we put it in ourselves. Now, you need to know, this guy's 78 years old, and the three friends who helped him were all older than he was. <laughs> because young people don't want to work. 
okay? So today, today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to say to you, it is not okay to walk home with office supplies. <laughs> today, today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to say to you, it is not okay to put in a half day's work for a full day's pay. And I want to make a case for that. And, and it doesn't matter, doesn't matter if your boss is a jerk. It doesn't matter if the wage that you're being paid is unfair. It doesn't matter if the company you work for is literally, you know, Sith Incorporated. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. And now bosses, I, I think God has something to say to you today, so I'll get to the boss's part in a minute, but I want to make a case that good enough for government work is not good enough for Jesus. And to do that, I want to walk you through this passage in Colossians. So if you brought a Bible, you can crack that thing open to the book of Colossians. It's in the New Testament. This letter written by the Apostle Paul um, in this chapter, chapter 3, where we're going to be today, Paul is talking about um, how to live the Christian life. So it's like Christianity 101, if you were going to like Taylor University, okay? So, uh, or Asbury or Wheaton or Gordon or go down the list. Okay, so uh, Colossians chapter 3, so uh, verse 1, since you've been raised to a new life, with Christ, so he's talking about this new life, and then verse 12, uh, since God chose you to be holy people he loves, clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, humility, gentleness, patience, make allowance for each other, so this chapter is all about, well, how does that, what does that look, what does that new life look like, what does putting on and clothing yourself with Christ look like, how do, what's that, how does that play out, what's the practical implications of that? And so that's where we're going to be today, and we're going to start in verse 22, okay? So Paul, uh, in talking about the practical application of this, he, he hits members of households. He talks about wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters. Three sets of people where one person is the weaker person in the relationship, and doesn't have a whole lot of rights, is in, and is at the bottom of the food chain. And the other person is a person of power, a person who can, in that culture, do whatever they want to do without recourse, because they've got the power. All right? So, verse 22, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Now, a few things right off the bat. One, yes, there is not a direct correlation between being a slave and being a worker, even though at the end of your lunch break, your coworker says, back to the salt mines. Okay, so there's not a direct correlation, but there is, I think, a spiritual principle at play, and I want to flesh that out through this passage. So right there in the first verse, can we all agree slavery is abhorrent? No, I want you to agree much more heartily. <laughs> Can we all agree that slavery is abhorrent? Yes. yes, it is, okay? Now, Paul neither condones nor condemns it in this passage, but he does do some weird things. He, uh, what he advocates in this letter and in other places will actually lead to the undoing of slavery. Because if a slave and a master are actually brothers in Christ, that changes everything because the relationship has changed. And so 
uh, this new community of the Holy Spirit, this new community of the kingdom of God, of Jesus, changes that. Uh, the other thing that's unique here, that for those of you that are history buffs, that I want to put on your radar screen, is that um, according to the historians that I read about this time period, when they would write about slavery, they would only address the slave owners, the masters. They would not address the slaves. But Paul addresses the slaves because in his mind, they're capable of Christian virtue and they're brothers in Christ with the master in this context, in this letter, okay? So what's he saying here, okay? So obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Don't be a brown noser. Don't up your game just because the master walked into the household. Be consistent, all right? The next verse, verse 23. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. So work as though you're working for Jesus Christ. There's more to life than meets the eye. God is always watching God is always watching, and God is always at work in the lives of the people around you, in the circumstances that you find yourself, and do what you do for him, because God is ultimately in control of everything, all right? Verse 24, remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. Did you just read that right? The Lord will give you an inheritance? Here's a simple question. Did slaves of the first century get any kind of inheritance? No. They got nothing. But in this passage, Paul's talking about inheritance. What? I know. The weaker person who, in theory, isn't supposed to get anything. See, God's at work behind the scenes. God's always watching, and God will reward that kind of consistency. Hence, an inheritance. All right? Verse 25, but if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you've done, for God has no favorites. If you ignore what the master wants, if you mouth off, if you do shoddy work for the task that's given to you, you're, kinda, it's, you're, you're reaping what you've sown. Paul says, you know, God, God plays no favorites. But the kicker for me is the first verse of the next chapter. Look at what Paul says. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Be just and fair. Hey, you can't just do anything you want to do, slave owner. You can't treat them any way you want. You can't cop out and say, well, that's just the way it is. That's just how things are. No, because God is your master. God is your king. And God has shown you grace and truth. God has offered you forgiveness. And God is expecting you to roll the same way. And so there's a, a big deal thing going on here. How you treat slaves needs to be flavored by love, justice, and fairness. So I would suggest to you that in this passage, Paul is talking about some attitudes and actions that apply not just to wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters but that we can extrapolate out and apply to how we live life. And that is namely this, right? If you're a kid, if you're a wife, if you're a slave, if you're the weaker member in a, in a relationship, you can't just get by. If you're the parent, the husband, the owner, 
and you're the powerful member in the relationship, you can't just do whatever you want. In both cases, Christ constrains us to not use our freedom to do whatever we want, to either be lazy on the one hand or harsh on the other. It, our freedom is used differently. Okay, So in light of what this passage is saying, I, I would suggest to you that if you're working today in 2014 and you show up and you do the... Probably you don't do that because it's all electronic now and you just click a screen if you have to, you know, clock in, right? But um, when you're at work, you actually have two bosses. It's, but it's a good thing, right? There's the boss who signs your ch paycheck and then there's the one who's in control of everything, God. If you're a boss, if you're here today and you're the one that's in charge, I would suggest to you that there's two kinds of people there's two kind, there are two people in your workplace. There are the people who show up to do the job, and then there's the one who's in control of everything at the job all the time, okay? So in light of this, I want to ask some questions, all right? So for those of you that are employees, let me ask some questions in light of this passage, in light of uh, the fact that good enough for government work isn't necessarily good enough for Jesus. The first question is this. Can you be trusted to do your best when your boss isn't around? When, when, when the boss is out for the day, is it kind of like a, whoo, having a heat, you know, <laughs> this is my island in the sun, whoo, whoo, you know, and you're bringing out the party stuff. And can you be trusted to do your best when your boss isn't around? If you're honest, if you're honest, are there legitimate reasons why you should be let go? Are you perpetually late? Do you do shoddy work? Is there a crummy attitude that's in play most days? And then lastly, have you prayed for your boss? Not that God would smite them with a heart attack, but have you prayed for your boss that they would be successful? All right? Now, let me talk to you bosses for a minute. If you're a boss, if you're the one in charge, if you're an employer, do you treat your employees like they're people... I had to do this recently. Somebody in the church family, I, I actually went and sat down with their boss. And I was like, look, I'm here today because I know you and, you know, this per you're causing harm to this person. I'm, I'm here to say today, they are a person who has value. Treat them like a person. It was great. Their, their other person was there from HR taking notes. And I was like, what does that look like on the notepad? Mr. Maripool came in to insist that we treat the employee as a person. <laughs> you know, in my mind, it's kind of basic stuff, but do you treat your employees as people and not machines? If your son or daughter was working at your company for the wage that you pay, the hours that you require, the conditions that are in play, would you urge your son or daughter to leave? If you'd urge your son or daughter to go, then do something about the conditions. Okay? If it's not good enough for your son or daughter, it's not good enough for the other people <laughs> that are working for you. And then lastly, have you prayed for your employees and their success, even if it takes them elsewhere? And I'm talking even among your best employees that you're like, you want to keep at all costs. All right? So here's your homework assignment, Team Generations. All right? If you're an employee... For the next 30 days, I want you to work hard. 
I want you to put in 100%. I want you to give it the old college try. Now, if your coworkers mock you, uh, you're just, man, you're just, you know, just know on the inside, I am doing this for Jesus. I am tuning them out. I am tuning them out. You know, I, I'm, so put in a full day's work for a full day's pay. For those of you that are bosses, here's your homework assignment. Reward hard work. Don't reward the politically astute. Don't award the people that dress provocatively. Reward hard work. If you have somebody who's been consistently on time, send them a note. If you have somebody who's consistently giving their best, then offer them something, a bonus, a gift card. Even if it's a little amount, you can at least say, you and I both know this should be for far more than it is, but I'd rather you have something than nothing. Thank you. Okay? Could you do that in the next 30 days? It will speak volumes to your employees. I would suggest to you that Mennonites and Hispanics and migrant workers should not be the only people in the United States who are known for hard work. Do you know who else should be known for hard work? Christians. <laughs> Christians should be known for hard work. It should be the case in America that you're like, Man, I want a Christian boss because they're going, to be, they're going to run their business tempered by love, justice, and fairness. They're going to be the best person to work for. Why? Because they're a Christian boss. I hate it when I run into people in the chamber and in the community and they're like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, you know, but that just doesn't work in the business world. I'm like, what are you talking about? Is Jesus king of everything or just on Sunday mornings? What's the deal? Don't you ever get frustrated by that? Come on. Some of you, all right? So I, I really, and if it should be the case too that if you're an employer, you're like, man, I want Christian workers. I want Christian employees because they're honest and then when they show up, they work. You know, they're not just on Facebook all day, okay? So, Here's, here's why this is important, if for no other reason than self-interest, right? If I were to bring in Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Diane Sawyer, and Hillary Clinton, wouldn't that be a panel? <laughs> okay, if I were to bring them in here and set them on stools, and I were to ask, so, what are some of the ingredients that were in place? What are some key things that got you where you are today? Do you know that every single one of them would say, hard work, every last one, okay? There's a reason for it. It's because God wants it. Do you, you know what? Uh, uh, a lot of times uh, you'll hear sermons on, right, taking a rest, and Americans, we do. We need to know that because we don't use our vacation days, you know, Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbath. But that's in the context of six days you shall work, and on the seventh day you shall rest from your labors all right so work hard do it i'm telling you it pays off it pays off it does it does i want to pray for you and pray for me because we need extra grace with this one we do